Can we bow our heads as we get into the word this morning? Our Father in heaven, we come before you today and we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that none of this is about man, but about the Son of Man, Jesus, who came to this earth, died for our sins, just so that we can feel your love once again, that we can be restored to you and have a real, everlasting relationship with our eternal Father. We ask that even as we dive into your word now, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. And may you be glorified in and through this service. Thank you for what you're doing in our young people's lives. We pray a continued blessing, protection, favor, anointing over every single one of them. Those who came to the camp and those who weren't able to, Lord God, I pray that your favor would follow them, O oh God. That your anointing would break the yokes of bondage over their lives. And Father, it would change everything in their life. And they would be dedicated to serving you for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name. We thank you. Amen. It's my honor to bring the word this morning. I'm going to be sharing quite a bit, or not quite a bit. I'm, trying to, I'm going to be sharing what we... we learnt on the camp, what the Holy Spirit revealed to us, and we really hope this morning that it blesses your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, not to be that different type of guy, but I want to give you my three lessons that we want to teach you guys right up front. Number one, we have to know Jesus. Number two, oh man. Number two. Oh, no, number two. <laughs> not, teach, not teaching you guys anything anymore. Number two. What is the real price of following Christ? And finally, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? So, firstly, we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read quite a bit of verse this morning, so I'm going to be a little bit quick, just for time's sake. <clears throat> but if you'd like to keep it for later, I encourage you to. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Marika, I changed my scope there a little. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we, can't, we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death 
of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Amen. So I just wanted to share some points with you that we, we learned. <clears throat> Number one, you can only introduce me from what you know of me, right? So I started off by saying this morning, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jared. Now you know my name. But for those of you who know me, you know maybe a little bit more about me, my age, my favorite color, um, who my wife is, who, how many kids I have. The difference is, the difference uh, between knowledge and a relationship is not just what you can list and speak, but from what experiences you can share from. Does that make sense? Some of you, I can see it's already turning in your mind what I'm going to say. Jesus is the image of an invisible God. People will tell you of Jesus, but it's for you to get to know him. We need to spend time with Jesus. There's no shortcut. There's no other way. There's no alternate. There's no smarter way of doing it. Relationship is relationship. It's going to cost you something, which we'll get into later. All things were created by him for him, which means we were created for him. If we were created for him, if we were created by him, only he can sustain us. Only he is the head of the church, so only he can be the source of our faith. Him and him alone. Sin separated us, and only Jesus could cross that divide. These are words we hear quite often, I'm sure. But just take a moment to let that sink in. We were separated from our Creator, and only our Creator could step in to reunite us. How powerful is that? God is our Creator, He has no limits, and He knows all. We are His creation. We have limits, and we know some. Whose lead do you think we should follow? And knowing him changes our praise of him from what we know of him to what he's done in my life. So and to share this example, <clears throat> I'm going to use my lovely pastor here. Everybody knows, or if you didn't know, he used to be a rugby player in the Lions, correct? He did very well in his rugby career. Um, I don't remember what position you played. Wing. Okay. He was very successful. His dad was a rugby player. Your brother as well, I'm, I'm assuming. A little. 
but his family was very involved in rugby, but him and his dad played for the Lions Rugby Club. So you can see by his build now, like, it makes a bit more sense. There's, there's that, rugby, that rugby training in him. <clears throat> I experienced it. <clears throat> we were at Kirk's house for a braai. We were tackling everybody and throwing them in the pool. Except for Pastor Ryan. He, the way he planted his feet was like in such, I can't do it. Like I've tried to replicate it. That man was immovable. And Pastor, I just have to tell you, whatever lotion you're using on your legs, I'm worried about your safety. You're going to slip, Pastor. I'm worried. Please, just. I don't know if I was wet from the pool or your legs. I don't know what was going on. That day is burnt into my memories. Let me just say, I, everybody was going high. Like, I'm like, no, man, take off the man's legs. <laughs> it was like heaven is what? Okay, we're not going to go there. Long story short, I can vouch that the man is rugby trained. I can vouch for his power. I can vouch for his training. I can vouch for his knowledge. I can vouch for his wisdom in that area. Imagine we could do the same thing with Christ. I can vouch for his power. I can vouch for the word of God. I can vouch for the wisdom that comes from it. What a difference that would make to say, oh, I read this in the Bible the other day, versus this is what God did in my life. See the power. Amen? I want to share this from Job chapter 9. I'll just read verse 2. You, you know the story of Job. Job was a man who the devil approached God and said, Him, him. Give me him. I can't attack him, but I guarantee if you lift, lift this hedge of protection from him, I will get him to curse you. I'll get him to forsake you. And Jesus is like, do your best. The devil took away everything the man had. Everything, his family, his, his, his livelihood, everything, his home, possessions, everything you can think of, reputation, everything was gone. But he did not forsake God. He had his doubts, or not his doubts, he had his, his sadness, he was angry, he, he was mad at himself. But when his friends came to counsel him to say, forsake this God of yours, and they tried to twist the word of God against him. Anybody know any people like that? Doesn't it say in the Bible this? Hey? Job's response in verse 2 says this. Yes, I know all this is true in principle. And I'll even stop there. In principle. What does that mean? Theoretically, you may be correct. But I know my God. And I don't believe you. I believe him. Can we stand like that this morning? There's a song that goes like this. <clears throat> See, on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side. 
no greater sacrifice what he's done what he's done all the glory and the honor to the son my sins are forgiven my future is heaven i praise god for what he's done may i encourage you this morning let that not be lyrics you memorize but a revelation you receive moving on matthew chapter 19 verses 16 to 30. it's entitled the rich man <clears throat> Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother love your neighbor as you love yourself i've obeyed all these commandments the young man said what else must i do and jesus told him if you want to be perfect go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me but when the young man heard this he went away sad for he had many possessions then Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Now imagine if that sentence ended there. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem lost or least important now will be greatest then. <clears throat> when I was younger... Um, my sisters are here, actually. They might even know more dates than I would. Um, my dad used to take us to Wimpy. My dad used to work in a bank. He was uh, kind of an executive position, I guess, at that stage. He was director. Um, you wouldn't say sometimes because <laughs> as much as you'd be like, oh, dad, can I have this? He'd be like, there's no money. You know what I mean? Like the thing, you know, the parents do like, oh, I left my wallet in the car. Oh, my goodness. But you're in the shop. You know what I mean? Like they used to pull moves like that. But like we knew that there were certain things like that were lies 
Because every Saturday morning, he would take us to breakfast at Wimpy. It used to be our favorite thing. Friday, Saturday morning, you wake up, you get ready, and you shoot off to breakfast. If there was a cool movie on afterwards, you know, you'd go to the movies. Um, it, it, it got so common that the lady at Wimpy knew us by name, by face, got us our table, knew our order off by heart. For mine, it was a double mushroom burger with chips. My sister was always the health. What is it, the health? Whatever that thing is, I don't know. It's fruits and yogurt. We had wumpy, anyways. Um, we used to order that, go to the movies. It used to be the best. I was in grade nine, if I'm not mistaken, when my dad resigned from his job with no job in mind afterwards. It was then that I started to develop a fear of money. And I didn't realize it until quite recently. When you don't know where the money's coming from, it's hard to have your wants and desires. It's hard to live the lifestyle that you once lived. It's hard to make sense of anything because things are different now. You need to count the sense. It was interesting because at that time it, it really affected me, but I didn't want to put pressure on my parents. So I just kind of kept quiet about it. But I, I, I noticed I started to drift away from my friends at school. What hurt even more was that they didn't care. So I withdrew and they carried on with life. It was at that time where I felt like, what is going on? And to cut a long story short, I turned to this God that everybody seems to know, that my parents have taught us about that I haven't encountered for myself. And a difference was made when I felt worthless. I don't know if you can understand this, but it's a silly notion to think that as a kid, I want to help my parents out of the situation. Maybe I can get a job or do something, but you feel like, oh, I'm a kid, what do I know? So you kind of feel insignificant. I did that thing, and I'm sure some of you have done this, where you take the Bible, you flip it open, and you're like, Lord, you're real, speak to me. And I was really battling with my image at that point, and the verse that God gave me first was, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't negate my situation. He reaffirmed who he's called me to be. That's how I knew my Savior was real. So for me, <clears throat> I can assure you that I believe that I have a relationship with God. At that point, things started to turn around where I would read the word of God to learn more about him. And those friends who ran away would come back to me slowly, but it was different. They would be going through things in life, and all of a sudden, the wisdom that I had received from Christ, I could now share with them. The Bible was made so easy for me at that phase in my life. It was like I could read it. God would give me so much understanding about it. It was easy. Whatever time I threw at it was like enough. It wasn't until I started to grow more and more that it cost me more and more, and it didn't come as easily. So, I was at another point where I'm like, Lord, is this it? Are you leaving me? Is this what it is? What's going on? And I realized to follow Christ is going to cost you something. When it's easy, that's good. But when it costs you something, that's when it means more to you. It wasn't the three minutes on the car ride home or the two minutes 
in between my bath time or whatever the case is that I could read my word. No, I had to be diligent about it. I had to change things. It had to cost me more of my time, my effort, a whole bunch of different stuff in order for me to spend time with my Savior. Now, this is not a sermon about me, but it is something that I want to share, three things that I've learned about that from. Number one, we, or rather, before I even get there, if I can encourage you with this, if you haven't considered this, if you haven't started this, develop a hunger for God. It's the thing that sustains you through every season. As you are growing, it's the thing that sustains you through every level. A hunger for God should be your first priority. Now, what does that mean practically? Number one, our hunger for God starts with God. What do I mean by that? Only God can give us the hunger that we need. If I'm filling it with all the nonsense of this world and things that are not long-lasting, I may feel fed, but I will always be hungry. John chapter 6, verse 30 says, um, They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'll stop there. If you're serious about your relationship with Christ, you'll want his help. Lord, give me the desire to pursue you. I'm so lost in my own hurt or struggles that it's hard. But I recognize, Lord, I choose to put you first place in my life. Help me. Teach me. Lead me. Show me. Invest in me. The food that God is talking about here doesn't feed our bodies. It feeds our spirit. And for those of you who aren't aware, that's such an important thing to feed. It's where your body can even draw strength from if you've received from God. Changes our priorities, huh? So number one, to develop a hunger for God, it starts with God. Number two, we need to align our steps in faith. You know, we did, I'm not sure if you saw one of the pictures, but uh, we sat in two rows doing a little exercise there. Um, in, we had to be in two rows for it to be kind of effective. There was alignment. Practically, what does that mean? I need to take everything that I have control over and put it into alignment with what God tells me to do. My finances. Yeah, I started with the big one. My, my, my marriage or my partner, my children, my home, my job, my effort, my strength, 
every thought and knowledge and piece of wisdom that I have, I align it with God. I was sharing with Rachel the other day, it's always interesting to preach because you, you study and study and study and study and study and God gives you a word, he reveals himself and it's amazing and he does so many things. And then the next week you read that same verse again and he reveals something different after you've preached and you are now, huh, Lord, why didn't you give this to me earlier? We are limited in our knowledge. With what time I have had, I've studied up until this point, and I'm choosing to say, Lord, whatever you've given me, whether I see it as enough or a little, I give it to you. Help me to align now, Lord. What would you have me do? What would you have me say? Holy Spirit, you bring to remembrance the things that need to be said. That's practical alignment. When you get to the office, the Bible verse that you read about showing love, Lord, help me to show love this morning. Help me to be a good employee uh, or, or co-worker to my, to my fellow colleagues. I choose to align my mood, my effort, everything I have to be obedient to you. And that's step number three. Alignment only comes through obedience. Or rather, it's only successful through obedience. And obedience to Christ. If you think you're the top dog, Indians are like this. Indians, Indians sometimes frustrate me because... Uh, they, they do this thing, man. And I, was, and I was sharing this with Kirk the other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> I work at Standard Bank. So does Emmanuel. There's globally 45,000 employees 50, or something like that. In South Africa alone, there's like 29,000. Hey, hey, Jared, you know, uh, you know my brother-in-law there? Name me Melvin. His name is Melvin. He's there in marketing. You don't know him? No, he's a big deal. No, he's the big deal. Top dog there. Eh? Yeah, yeah. You don't know my other cousin there. Eh? He works in legal, man. He does all the content, all the big things he does there. Eh? All the big things. You know, all the big, all the, all the big contracts they give him. Eh? Multi-million rand contracts they give him to do. Huh? That's what Indian people are like. Everybody must be a top dog. You find him on the global address list at your, and you're like, this guy just works at the branch. But anyways, it's not the point. It's not the point. I, no, no, you're making it to be like a joke. If your family works at Standard Bank, I do apologize. I do not speak and represent Standard Bank or any of the banks or the affiliations of the banks. My point is this. There's a sense of humility. Not a sense. There's a, a, a focus on humility that we need to have. It needs to be about God and God alone. Submitting to Him. We are not the top dog. We are not the big deal. He is. It's not just words. Make it so. If he says it, you do it. Amen? Amen. Finally, <laughs> my son is like, oh, thank goodness, Dad. You preach at home, you preach in church. When does it end? I'm almost done, my son. I'm not going to read all of the book because it's pretty much the whole story of David, but you know the story of David. Saul was king, anointed to be king, disappoints God, anointing is removed. 
God then sends Samuel to say, go and find one of the sons of Jesse. And anoint him king. <laughs> Jesse's shy. <laughs> I'm not saying right now, Jesse. You need to, you need to do the things, my boy. <laughs> he finds David, the youngest. He was 15 years old at the time. A teen. 15 when he's anointed to be king. It took him 15 years to actually become king. One five. In that time, he never grumbled. He never complained as much as the Bible tells us. He still served in whatever capacity that he was in. He went back, once he was anointed, anointed to be king, he went back out into the fields. David calls, uh, Saul calls for him. Uh, when he needs someone to play a harp, he goes, he plays a harp. He doesn't once say or threaten, that's going to be mine. No, he does what he needs to do and trusts God's time. His father sends him to the battlefield, says, go give your brothers these cheese and tomato sandwiches. Okay, bacon and eggs, I don't know. Like, whatever you guys like. It's the end of the month, but I know in the middle of the month it's going to be poloni. We know, we know. No, we're South Africans, we know, we know. He goes to the battlefield just to deliver food. And he meets an opportunity that he isn't excited about that, oh, this is going to propel me. No, an opportunity to serve his king, Jesus. There's so much about the life of David that we can learn up until Bathsheba. It was all looking good up until then, right? And that sin brought him down. God cursed his next generation. And we see that in the downfall of his sons. Rachel and I were reading it the other day. And we were like, this is disgusting what his sons were doing. But we learned from David that he had true repentance at that point. Real repentance. Genuine repentance. So the three things that we can learn from his life is this. One, he trusts God even in the waiting. Trusting God is not walking around, running your mouth. Trusting God in the waiting is, Lord, what would you have me do today? Not what would you have me do to become king. I trust you for that, Lord. What would you have me do today? Point number two, he serves God in the waiting. And point number three, he takes responsibility for his sin. And he genuinely repents. How are we serving God today? These are three points that help us show or see inside the heart of the man that God says is a man after my own heart. That above all else, he honors me first, God first. Sometimes we are very quick to say God has forsaken me. God has done this, God has done that, or he never let this happen, or when is it my time, and all the excuses. But not David. Whatever came his way, he trusted in God. He continued to serve God. And when he was wrong, he never blamed anybody else. I accept, Lord, that I'm a sinner, that I failed you. I repent and I turn from my ways, O oh God. That shows that you place Jesus above all else. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. What we tried to share with you today in this message was what we shared on the weekend. And it would be wrong of me if I didn't share the point and the heart of all of this. Is it's not just to bring correction or to help guide you or lead you or all the things we need. If you haven't realized it, God loves you and he's calling out to you. We want to give you an opportunity this morning that if you have been like the prodigal son, you have fled from the love of your father in pursuit of your own things. If you've never experienced the love of God, and I mean really, not in theory, not in principle, we want to give you an opportunity today. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you search the hearts of each person here today. Those that you are calling home, we ask that you impress on them this morning, Lord God, to take a step of faith and come to the altar this morning. We give you praise, Lord. We honor you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Not because it's just words, but because I've seen you in action in my own life. I've seen you in action in the lives of my brothers and sisters seated here today. And for those still waiting, oh God, we stand in the gap for them here today as well. 